Hello, friends, and welcome to today's surprise bonus episode. I know last week I explained that I'm traveling this week and can't do a normal book review, but did you really think I could be absolutely silent when this week marks one whole year of the Unknown Friends podcast? Of course not. Tomorrow, April 15th, is the anniversary of our very first book review episode, so I had to do something to celebrate that fact, even though a full-length episode isn't possible. So thanks for tuning in to Unknown Friends today, and thanks for listening to this podcast and supporting it now for a whole year. I am just honored that you continually listen to my sometimes rambling thoughts about literature, and it's due to you that the podcast is now in its second season with no end in sight. So while I'm not reviewing a new book today... I have a lovely poem I'm going to share with you and briefly discuss, and I also have a quick announcement. So to celebrate the first birthday of the podcast, over on Patreon, I'm going to be sharing a special treat with all my patrons, new and old. Over the next two weeks, I'll be posting not one, but two bonus episodes. And this is important. They're only going to be available for a limited time. So for all patrons of the Unknown Friends podcast, no matter the amount of your pledge, as long as you have joined before the end of April, you will have access to these two episodes until May 1st. Okay, so the first episode will come out next Monday, April 19th, and the second, the following Monday, the 26th. But access to them will expire on the 1st of May. So if you are already part of the Unknown Friends community on Patreon, you will have basically two full weeks to listen to the first episode and one to listen to the second. And if you're not yet a patron, you have until the end of April to join and get access to these bonus episodes. Now, what'll be in these episodes? I am doing read-alouds of two G.K. Chesterton essays. Now, the word essay, to me, brings up connotations of dry prose and boredom, but believe me, Chesterton essays are some of the most entertaining things you'll ever read. He is so witty and just continually startles you with his unexpected and hilarious comments. I thoroughly enjoy his essays, and I think you will too. So on Monday, for the first bonus episode, I'll be reading his essay titled On Lying in Bed, and then the second read-aloud is going to be a surprise. I'm not going to tell you just yet which of his essays I've chosen, but I promise you will enjoy it. So again, these two bonus episodes will be accessible to all subscribers on Patreon, whether you joined back in February when we first launched our Patreon page, or whether you become a patron uh, today or later this month. Um, but just remember, the episodes will only be accessible through May 1st. So if you're interested, join us on Patreon. If you haven't yet, uh, watch your notifications and listen to these read-alouds before the end of April, and I hope you get as big a kick out of Chesterton's wit and wisdom as I do. Now, April is National Poetry Month, 
And today I am excited to read to you a poem from a remarkable contemporary poet. A.E. Stallings is the poet in question. She is an American poet born in 1968 and is considered a new formalist, which essentially means she's among the modern poets who have renewed the tradition of metrical and rhyming poetry. So the poem I'm reading to you today is a sonnet, not a perfectly traditional one. Its rhyme scheme is a bit innovative, but a sonnet nonetheless, a 14-line poem. I appreciate poets like Stallings who prove that even centuries-old poetic forms like the sonnet are not dead or stale, but can be as fresh as ever in capable hands. So A.E. Stallings' uh, most recently published poetry collection titled Like, and in which you'll find this sonnet I'm sharing today, was, I should mention, a finalist for the 2019 Pulitzer Prize for Poetry. And the poem I'm reading you can also be found online at the Poetry Foundation website. I've linked to it in the episode description so that you can see the poem as well as hear it, which I think is very helpful when reading poetry because it is a a visual art as well as an aural one. Anyway, the sonnet is titled The Rosehead Nail. And I'm going to read it once, then make a few comments, and then I'll read it once more. And feel free to follow along by by clicking that Poetry Foundation link. So here it is, The Rosehead Nail by A.E. Stallings. Blacksmithing Demonstration, Monteagle, Tennessee. But can you forge a nail? The blonde boy asks and the blacksmith shoves a length of iron rod deep in the coal fire cherished by the bellows until it glows volcanic. He was a god before anachronism, before the tasks that had been craft were jobbed out to machine. By dint of hammersong he makes his keen raw point and crowns utility with rose, quincunx of facets petaline its head. The breeze made visible sidewinds. The boy's blonde mother shifts and coughs. Once work was wed to loveliness. Sweat-faced, swarthy from soot, he reminds us with the old saw he employs and doesn't miss a beat. Smoke follows beauty. Okay, so I'm sure you got the overall picture of what's happening, but... With poetry, it's impossible, at least for me, to pick up on all the details on a first read. So, this is a blacksmithing demonstration, as the poem's subtitle states. A spectator, a boy, asks if the smith can forge a nail, and the blacksmith not only forges a nail, but crafts it with a head shaped like a rose, uh, described by the poet as a quincunx of facets petaling its head. Uh, Quincunx. That's not a word I use every day. It is kind of a technical term, and what it means is any symbol or design in which there are five parts, one in the center of the design and the other four forming a square around it. Uh, So for instance, um, the side of a dice that has five dots, that's a quincunx. So here the rose design forged on the nail's head is described as a quincunx of petals. So... 
what is the poem saying, as, as briefly as I can summarize it? Not just what happens in the poem, we get that part essentially, but what is the point? Well, the image of the rosehead nail points to a union of seemingly disparate elements, work and loveliness, uh, utility and beauty. The second sentence of the poem says that the blacksmith was a god before anachronism, before tasks that had been craft were jobbed out to machine. Craft. I think that's one of the key words in this poem because it can mean work and it can mean art, uh, which are two of the things Stallings wants to connect here. The smith was a god before anachronism, she says. And there's another word I don't use on a daily basis. And anachronism is something uh, displaced in time, something old-fashioned, something lost. So the blacksmith was a god, referring to the Greek god Hephaestus, who was the god of fire and of craftsmanship, um, and interestingly, was the husband of Aphrodite, the goddess of beauty. So craft used to be revered, as divine until it was jobbed out to machine. Um, but the marvel in this poem of the rosehead nail that the smith forges reminds us of the lost or anachronistic union between utility and beauty. The poem says, once work was wed to loveliness. Hephaestus was wed to Aphrodite. Uh, the full concept of craft still existed, combining labor and art. And then, of course, uh, the poem's last words are the old saw or old saying, smoke follows beauty, which the blacksmith says to the onlookers who are getting smoke in their faces. Um, and a little before he speaks, it's hard to catch this, but the poet writes a single short sentence that describes the smoke without ever naming it. She writes, the breeze made visible sidewinds. And it's, it's smoke, of course, that makes the breeze visible and that, that we see sidewinding. As for the poem's rhyme scheme, I, I won't break it down. Probably most people aren't interested in anything quite as technical as that. But if you're a nerd like me, then I challenge you to look at the poem yourself. You can find it through the link and figure out which lines rhyme with each other and contemplate on your own why Salines chose the words and the sounds that she did. I will just point out that this sonnet is divided into two parts. The first eight lines form one section describing um, the actual forging of the nail, and those lines culminate in the word rose, uh, which of course is, is deliberate on Stalin's part. And then the last six lines wrap up the scene, describing the aftermath of the, the blacksmith's demonstration and the smoke that he says follows beauty. Now, there's a lot more one could say about this poem, but that is just a quick overview of some of the things that I see going on between the lines, and I hope you'll look into the poem more for yourself. And now, to conclude, I will just read the poem a second time so that we can um, observe and appreciate its details more deeply this time. So, once again, the rosehead nail. Blacksmithing demonstration, Monteagle, Tennessee. But can you forge a nail? The blonde boy asks. 
and the blacksmith shoves a length of iron rod deep in the coal fire cherished by the bellows until it glows volcanic. He was a god before anachronism, before the tasks that had been craft were jobbed out to machine. By dint of hammer song he makes his keen raw point, and crowns utility with rose. Quincunx of facets petaling its head. The breeze made visible sidewinds. The boy's blonde mother shifts and coughs. Once, work was wed to loveliness. Sweat-faced, swarthy from soot, he reminds us, with the old saw he employs and doesn't miss a beat, smoke follows beauty. I hope you have enjoyed this brief look at A.E. Stallings' poetry, and I encourage you to look into more of her work if you enjoyed today's discussion. Don't forget, patrons, to watch for your two upcoming bonus episodes featuring Chesterton's delightful essays, and be sure to listen before the episodes expire on May 1st. And listeners who haven't yet joined us on Patreon, if you're interested, be sure to take advantage of this celebration of the podcast's first anniversary and join the Unknown Friends community on Patreon to access those bonus read-alouds. Just for kicks, right now I'll go ahead and give you the first sentence of the essay I will be reading on Monday. Chesterton's On Lying in Bed begins thus... Lying in bed would be an altogether perfect and supreme experience if only one had a colored pencil long enough to draw on the ceiling. So tune in on Monday, patrons, for the full reading. And as usual, I will be back next Wednesday, the 21st, with our next promised book review of Marcus Zusak's The Book Thief. So I hope you'll join me then. I'm your host, Rochelle Ferguson of Kitty Wayne Productions, and thank you for listening.